Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamfrey and Michael Sidgwick, here to look ahead to tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Rampage, baby, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Super, oh, premium live events, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick. Look ahead to Dynamite tonight. Gents, this is the double or nothing go-home show. It is in less than... How are you feeling about tonight's show, Sidge? Well, on paper, it looks very good. And they know what they're doing. They will have had some kind of angle in mind. That's Tony Khan. The wrestlers would have had their absolute best sort of line delivery or threat or whatever. All in the locker for tonight. And then... The worst AEW sexuals, yeah, I'm going there, <laughs> are going to say something like, uh, <laughs> thought it fell off. And it kind of has a bit yeah. <laughs> throughout this build, which makes me a little bit, I'm still on a macro level pretty concerned about the direction of the company, um, how difficult it is to book around such an absolutely mammoth roster. Um, but I suspect tonight will be great. I don't necessarily think it's going to quote, save AEW. We could go into a big philosophical debate about whether the actual promotion needs saving at this point. What I'm trying to arrive at in my traditional long-winded way is tonight should be great, but I'm still concerned about certain things in the company. And I've been trying to nail it down on Twitter, and the mega fans will forgive me. Ultimately, the, the roster's too big to book around. I've used the Spotify premium analogy before where it just feels like the Netflix see your thumbnails. All of this is great. Yeah, but if you got rid of some of them, the rest would look better by comparison. There's too much choice. Everything's sensory overload. I'm, I've, I'm spoiled, basically. It's mm. a good thing. It's better than the Fed. But I'm, I've been spoiled. Ultimately, my key issue with AEW Dynamite, I think the biggest one that isn't the massive roster, is the pacing. Every which way is completely wrong. He needs to rewatch the pressure bandage from Mid-South to realize how to pace a TV show. Because Dynamite is at once completely rushed to the point where <laughs> very little or not enough registers is something that on its own, sold adequately, would be so much more effective. Yeah. It's either completely rushed and every storyline takes ages to get going or takes ages <laughs> to conclude. It's like, how do these two things 
like gel, and increasingly, I'm finding that they don't. Yeah, I think the speed and pace of these dynamites is something that if you if you really love a storyline, you get quite frustrated with the speed and pace. And the example you always use is Christopher Daniels and the end of SCU, <laughs> like how quickly they, it was impact level, how they breeze past something that should have been given more time to breathe. Thanks, guy. Anyway, <laughs> like, well, that's the last we'll ever see of Christopher Daniels in a squared circle. But anyway, the young bucks are here now. <laughs> the speed at which the good stuff passes is frustrating because you want it given time to breathe. The speed at which bad stuff passes or angles that you're just not interested in is almost using the speed to its advantage because it's like, well, it was this rubbish 30-second interruption promo, but at least it was only 30 seconds, then on to the next thing. So that kind of... Piles up, though, doesn't it? Oh, it massively. So it takes one and it gives with the other because it kind of obscures some stories that are maybe not as strong as they should be or as strong as we would expect from AW. But the reality is, if the Dynamites are going through so quickly... Nothing stand a chance. So you start then, the Daniels uh, SCE thing being an example, right? It wasn't built massively well on Dynamite, but they'd put a lot of work into it on being the elite, and there was a lot of heft in the lore of AW with the Young Bucks and SCU. So like a lot of it was implied, more than it should have been, but at very least there was investment on the night, I would say. I think the rushed nature of so many of these Dynamites is late has meant that the even if you've wanted to invest, which I don't think has been the case. I think oh, I agree with Sidgwick. A lot of it has felt like, oh, am I really that fussed about a lot of this? They've kind of not really given you the time to anyway. So even if there's something you were itching for more of, it's like on to the next, on to the next, on to the next, and, and you can't. In this case, I actually sort of think that's benefited AEW because I, I just don't think a lot of these stories are strong. I said this a few weeks ago. I, I'm, I'm probably more invested in Punk Hangman Page than the majority, if everyone's being totally honest with themselves. I think I'm higher on that than most people. Supremely invested in MJF Wardlow because that's clearly the main event in yeah. everything but name alone coming into this pay-per-view. Um, and everything else, it's it's just not... I don't think these are the finest exhibitions of Tony Khan's ability to pair people, to create stories around pairings that you want to pay money to see, the television ones along the way. And my personal problem, looking at this Dynamite card, because on paper it is quite a quality show, and something like, I would say, FTR versus... Um, Bongi Vice yeah. is probably the best example of the spoiled wrestling fan mentality of being like, this is pretty amazing. Like, FTR are in AEW as the Ring of Honor World Champions fighting a New Japan team on the precipice of Forbidden Door. Once upon a time, we would have glamorized Taz, the WWE's Taz going to ECW to take the belt of WCW's Mike Awesome. These sort of, like, things which could not happen. Now they happen all the time and they've been normalized. What's worse is that the result isn't in doubt. Like, mm. not to trample on our own toes as about to preview, but because the result isn't in doubt that magic is lost because there's no sense of unpredictability. The, mm. the Taz Mike Awesome situation had all this unpredictability. What the hell is going on? We look at that, and as good as it might be, you know exactly what the hell is going on. The Owen tournament, hasn't, as for me, hasn't been that well booked and that well presented. Thus, though the results are unpredictable, I'm just not terribly excited about the stakes. So with every kind of, with everything that might on paper be quite good, there's sort of a caveat or a qualifier or a reason to just go... Uh, but, uh, but, and I just think that in itself is a long way down from where Dynamite's peak was. Mm. Aside from a lot of the very relevant issues around pacing and creative and things like that, it's just established a few too many norms that I think are lowering the expectation. As a result, this may be a banger of an episode tonight. Mm. Like going in with measured or lowered expectations might genuinely assist this. Just one quick thing, and then I know we'll go into it on the more granular level. I saw the graphic for this, and those graphics do a great job of making this feel like an unbelievable, epic two hours. You cannot believe that this is for free on television when a company will be proud of this on a pay-per-view. What was telling for me was the MJF uh, Spears-Wardlow graphic 
was like in the bottom corner instead of splashed across the top. And my perception was that's the biggest and best thing on the show. Yeah. And they're looking at it as like, it's another all snap in Dynamite. And it's like, it's it's not though. Like if you were being totally honest with yourself, the biggest thing is right there in that corner. Mm-hmm. You can't call it the main event because you've got to put face off between the champions or belts on the line or tournament. You know, it's like, it's got to be one piece of the puzzle. But in reality, I think everything's sort of leaning on it a bit at the moment. Feels like I ask you this before every AW pay-per-view, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because we've got 10 matches right now on the pay-per-view card. One is a, uh, the buy-in match with uh, Hookhausen, of course. So nine matches on the main card. We were talking in the office before, potentially, what, three more matches? You've got the mixed tag, obviously. Potentially, we'll talk about what Samoa Joe might be doing if he's not involved in the Owen Hart Cup. And, uh, well, MJF, that match, of course, MJF Wardlow, not official as of yet. So that would be potentially uh, 13 matches stretched across the buy-in and the, the main card. Is that too many for you, or is it all dependent on how it's booked on the night? It's all dependent on how it's paced and booked. Like, I've watched WrestleMania VHS tapes. This ridiculous amount of matches, but you never get bored because it's so colourful, every character's over, and they don't really outstay their welcome on the night. Very few long matches, but the modern era generates loads of long matches. Um, my worry is that the lack of discipline that Tony Khan has shown of late will make this feel longer than it is. No AEW pay-per-view main card has exceeded four hours in length. Yeah, so They've that, all yeah. went under. I think it was Will Washington who's tweeted that. But I really rate Will Washington as a follow and everything else. But there's a trap there. You can say, you can use bloody facts to prove anything. Yeah? <laughs> but genuinely, like... Prove anything with numbers. You find the way the numbers work for you rather than just having the numbers work. Absolutely. Because ultimately, it's all about how long the shows feel. And we've said time and time again, and look, we'll... Preview Double or Nothing um, later on this week, so uh, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for that. But ultimately, it's all about... The key core problem is how these shows are sequenced. And again, the fact that it's depressing to talk about and keep talking about, because that's not very good for the listeners, but it's also depressing to keep talking about because it's not very good for the fans either. Mm. They pace them like WWE shows and not New Japan shows. New Japan show, every single match is longer and has more stakes in it than the last. So there's always something to look forward to. There's nothing that has the ability to really exhaust you on the way to the main event. And the noise is like the exponential growth chart that mm-hmm. we're all pretty sick of seeing. But luckily, they don't get reported anymore very much. So it doesn't <laughs> really matter. Um, where just audience investment just goes up and up and up and up and up. And it's like a wave form in AEW mm. and WWE because the way the shows are sequenced in such a way that halfway through, you're kind of just waiting to get to the good bits again. And it's a sequencing, not a length issue. And I suspect this is definitely going to be the case at Double or Nothing unless Tony Khan changes the habit of three years that he's cultivated. And the fact that it's taken three years means probably not. I think just on that again, it's the the facts versus feeling element of these cards what I will say, and I've been on here complaining about how long some of these pay-per-views have felt at times, but I will say, in defense of those long shows, is that, like, on the road to the pay-per-views, your feeling is that every single match, these pay-per-views are premium, it's four a year, and every single wrestler and match are worthy of their premium place on the card. This is the first term, time where I can categorically say that it feels like a number of matches is to get wrestlers on rather than them having earned their mm. place with premium Matt content. Hardy. Matt, I mean, he's a big offender to be very well. Like, like you know, uh, several of the matches 
feel like, yeah, cool, I want to see that person in a pay-per-view match, but did they did it have to be this time? Could it not have been at the next one? Are they really in a story that is worthy of a premium? You know, as we'll go through the preview of the pay-per-view later in the week, mm. and there'll be we'll probably be able to drill into the examples, but across the card, there's elements where ah, they're on here because it's a, every pay-per-view is AEW's version of WrestleMania, get them a payday, and I've never been somebody to complain too loudly about roster bloat, but that is where roster bloat becomes an mm-hmm. issue. If you're finding a way for people to get onto the card rather than just rewarding their premium work with a premium slot, then you're just not producing a premium product. So as I mentioned, it's the go-home show before Double or Nothing, uh, and there is a, a face-to-face set between the AW World Champion Hangman Page and CM Punk. Uh, very unpredictable, this match on the on the, the pay-per-view to call. I think some people now, maybe in the last few weeks, have started leaning maybe Punk's way, but... Uh, well, how do they how do they present this tonight? Because you've mentioned before, Hamlet, that they've you know given themselves lots of threads and 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 avenues to potentially go down, and maybe haven't gone down as many as you'd like. I w- I love this in theory if it is going to be how I imagine it will be, which is Jim Ross sitting down with them in a pre-tip segment. No, nope. is it definitely going in ring? I would know this. say so. Like every time they've done that, it's delivered right. You get these little. It's obviously they can cut it and they make it look nice. Jim Ross as this. Like, when he's in that environment, the authority of, of kind of pro wrestling. We've seen it with Hangman Page as well. He's, like, revealed so much with, like, a micro-expression when he was teaming with Kenny Omega and things like that. And AEW in general has done a great job of being able to ratchet the tension up in a room where people can't really swing for one another. It's, it's why the device is potentially a turn spired. It's why people still revisit Austin and Rock as one of WWE's, like, real sports field build between the two big stars. I would love them to do this because I think one of the most effective elements of this... And this can be done in ring, to be fair. But what would be most effective about it being taped, because they could get the lines right, would be Jim Ross uh, exploring the one, the biggest missing detail, which is what the hell happened in those seven days that made Hangman Page so angry with CM Punk. Like, it remains... There's a few loose threads, as we pointed out, that, but between Punk getting his shot, which he'd earned in the rankings, on a week where Page just happened to not be there for COVID, which was revealed. It wasn't some sort of, you know, he's out and about... Seven days later, Paige is absolutely raging at a guy that has been very sportsman-like and is how much he's looking forward to it. That detail would be nice to pick up on because already they're now too frosty with one another to be able to have that dignified conversation. This would put them in the place where they have to. I would love... Um, I've not needed... And I understand exactly why people have done this. I would have done this myself. When Punk was going to be signed and Paige is the drinker and Punk's the straight edge, that was infinitely more intriguing before AEW made you realise that this is a new world and John Moxley's just come out of treatment and in fact don't trivialise it. Mm-hmm. And then went and trivialised it in a promo last week. But like that really changed my perspective on how you use this straight edge versus drinker character because Paige didn't get the beer out immediately, did he, when he won the title? He went to his friends first and that felt powerful as well. But I guess you could talk about that. Maybe not so much about drinking, but about gambling. CM Punk saying I wasn't a gambling man. I'm on page saying, I'm a gambling man. There exists there this idea that maybe CM Punk still is a bit pious underneath it. And maybe Hangman Page does just want to be a cowboy, you know, above all else, rather than a leader. I think, like, I've yet to see CM Punk really unpick Hangman Page's fragile psyche. I remember Murray after the Page, ah, masturbatory promos, I'm going to kill CM Punk, all this sort of thing. He was the one that identified what he thought was Page exhibiting a bit of self-doubt in his face as he left the ring. AEW haven't presented that. So was that just a bit of accidental acting from Page and a good spot by Murray or a complete accident? I think they can do something with that. Punk's a, a genius at being able to remain on the surface, 100% babyface, 
while secretly trying to, to needle a little bit. He's paid a lot of tributes to Bret Hart. Who else does CM Punk love? Steve Austin. Steve Austin told you what he was going to do in that sit-down with The Rock before WrestleMania, and none of us spotted it until it happened. CM Punk could do something along those lines here to, if not win, show what depths he's prepared to sink to to try and get it done. I would much prefer a candid sit-down pre-tape, but that's not what draws ratings, and this needs to draw a number because it needs to draw a pay-per-view number. So I expect this to unfold in the ring. And they've broken the seal on... We can trivialise... Alcoholism for Heat again or something like mm. that um, last week. So maybe they'll do something with it. Maybe CM Punk himself wants to give in modern and necessary conversations that have come to light. Maybe he doesn't want to lean into that aspect of his character anymore. And the best thing about CM Punk is that he's such a genius that he doesn't have to. They still might play with it to the point where it's not so much that CM Punk is negging Hangman Page and saying, well, you drink to escape your problems. I don't have any problems. This is how good I am at the moment. They could do something with it, even if it's maintaining that not exactly well-explained thread where Hangman Page has got little respect for CM Punk, but he could sort of halfway through um, Punk's uh, portion of this face-to-face could just open his jacket, get a can of beer, pop it open. A hip flask, maybe. Or a hip flask. Punk can kind of doing it awry expression as if to say, no, I'm better than you and I'm better than this to talk about this. And then uh, Punk could just, uh, Paige could just gulp it down, spray it in his face. And then they could do something like that. So it's not necessarily saying Paige drinks and that's therefore bad, I'm pious, and everyone who drinks is bad because that would completely go against the wonderful message he had for John Moxley Um, the day that the dynamite after it was revealed that he was going into um, an inpatient alcohol treatment program. He's got the can in his hand and the belt over his shoulder and Punk's like, look, Paige, you do you, but I don't need that. I need that. And he's pointing at the belt rather than the beer or something. Or even if... Imply that he needs it a little bit and just... Oh, even you if you have Paige fire back there, you could pull out the hip flask and be a bit shaky, like, oh, bloody hell, I need a drink here. And then you do the swig in it, spits it in his face. He's like, I don't need this either, brother. All yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Even if it's something, (laughs) even if it's nothing suggested that CM Punk has an issue with Paige's drinking or Paige's drinking in itself is an issue because they have sensibly abandoned that aspect of the Paige arc following the Moxie news. What if it's just something to piss CM Punk off and wipe the grin off his face? Mm. Because Punk's going into this very confident, he thinks, the whole thing is, this is why I kind of don't like the programmer, rent-free. They're going to do something amazing with the GTS and or the bookshot, right? I don't know what it is yet. They do. Discuss it on the preview. Before a night, no indication that he's an alcoholic and that's bad or he's an alcoholic and that's trivial or CM Punk hates him. Maybe Alan uh, Page just wants to wipe the smirk off his face and realise, oh, you're not in my head. I'm going to piss you off this time and just spray beer in his face. I don't know. The fact that I'm maybe talking about this a lot means that they haven't got enough ideas and I don't want to project ideas onto them. I want them to make me luxuriate in the story. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Uh, let's talk about the Owen Hart Cup. Uh, two semi-finals tonight. The winner of the men's obviously goes through to face Adam Cole in the final. Uh, the women's would go through to face the winner of Ruby Soho versus Chris Statlander, which goes down on a Rampage this week. So, Sidja, who are you backing? Samoa Joe versus Kyle O'Reilly and Britt Baker versus Tony Storm. Uh, look, the way that this company books is that they show their hand quite often and quite clearly the fact that they've been feuding for what feels like eight years at this point. Jay Lethal and Samoa Joe are going to have a match. Don't even do it for the undercard. I'm sure it'll get a reaction. We are the low guys on Jay Lethal in general. His stuff kind of always gets a reaction in the arena as matches get a reaction. That should be the caveat. But for the sake, I wouldn't add a red hot match to double or nothing at this point, much less one that's Fans are pretty into, and they've built it. Just don't, just don't. Save it for the dynamite after. Yeah, they've done this with the TNT title before. Like they've always, they always announce something at Double or Nothing that's big. And theoretically, Joe versus Lethal's big because they've built it. Um, which leads me to believe because Joe's got something to do after this, and Kyle O'Reilly doesn't. It's going to be Cool Kyle versus Adam Cole. Mm. What? Why? I don't <laughs> understand why they're doing that when everyone kind of laughed last year at the excess of it in NXT. There's no appetite to watch them re- wrestle ever again. Now, take the NXT away from Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and their first interactions and team were so good that that's how they got to NXT in the first place. They didn't rely on NXT. NXT 
imposed certain NXT things on them to the detriment of their auras and the storyline. So it doesn't have to be bad just because it was bad in NXT, but at the same time, it's still, you just did it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need to say this again. And again, this feels very much like uh, Adam Cole needs to be on the pave. How? Yeah. And this is how. Uh, Road to excellent this week. Well worth a watch on AW's YouTube channel. But in it, Michael Hamflet, I'm not sure if you've seen this before, Kyle O'Reilly promises, in, in Owen Hart's own words, to kick the leg out of Samoa Joe's leg. And it's very, it's, it's a glimpse of the old Kyle, isn't it? So my, yeah, it's very good. In addition to the Rampage thing, which makes me think that cool Kyle's coming back. <laughs> so I think Kyle wins. Hopefully nothing with interference. Don't do that in a semi-final. Post-match beatdown, of course. I'd expect a post-match beatdown <laughs> at AEW. But um, Kyle versus Adam Cole is the more likely, I think. Um, and I think they'll go with Baker, Ruby Soho. There's something about Britt Baker's... Schrodinger's long-term Britt Baker storylines, where it's like, she, that's, she deals exclusively in Schrodinger's storylines long-term. The Thunder Rosa thing was so convenient, where, oh, I'm not actually going to do anything here. And then when it arrives, you're in the making this, lads. Well, was it? Because <laughs> it just happened a year ago. Because it just happened a year ago, and it was always going to go to this, but you just took your sweet time and ruined a lot of the heft. Baker versus Hater. Is that happening or not? Mm. Do you hate each other because he kind of just got back together after teasing friction. They will revisit it at some point, but it's not really a consistent thread. Mm. And the third shrouding as long-term Dr. Britt Baker storyline is Dr. Britt Baker versus Ruby Soho. Ruby Soho came in, Britt Baker beat her. Um, Ruby Soho's arc is the Nelly woman. She um, just got beat off Baker at Grand Slam. She got to the finals of the TBS title tournament. Yeah. She's had various interactions with Baker, where Baker every now and then reminds her of disappointment since he came in. Only by defeating me will he get rid of this reputation as a disappointment. So I expect that is the direction. I've sold my stock in Ruby Soho, and judging by the silence in arenas, a lot of people have as well. I would just go with Tony Storm and reverse plans. But they have been building this when they want and when they fancy it, and they will pretend it's bigger than it is. But I think it'll be Baker versus Soho. Uh, what's the match tonight, Baker Storm? Yes. I've got high expectations for this. Yes. I really do. Should have been the final. Probably should have been the final, yeah. I, like, I, I cannot believe we've arrived at a TV semi-final between Baker and Tony Storm in the final. I think I, I, I think tournaments have gone wrong. Like, the Owen Hart, the first inaugural Owen Hart tournaments should have been, um, like... Sentimental in the extreme, right? You, there are times to lean into sentiment, and this was absolutely that. How are we pitching finals where an AEW was showing us this, the men's final, two heels, right, that are mates, where one of them's kind of jovially threatening to finger poke a doom it, right? The first ever Owen Hart. Like, for all the, the, I think the reasoned critique of some of the Bret Hart tributes, like, the FTR match was very much in the spirit of what mm. we all wanted to feel yes. for this tournament, you know? How have we not had the, the clear baby face on this side and the clear heel on this side and they're on a collision course and it's going to be on and then we're just all going to rally around the baby face doing it for the, to be the first one with the name on the trophy. Similarly, in Britt Baker and Tony Storm, the match that promises the most quality, that makes the best use of Tony Storm having debuted and then kind of disappeared off television to this backstage area for ages, of Britt Baker who can retain her star quality without being able to really fight for a belt at the moment. And again, a case of a heel and a baby face. I think they've really blown... I'm looking forward to this match on Dynamite, but I just... I think it speaks to several, 
like confused. I don't I don't believe in misfires. I think this company plots and plans, but I, I can't see how we've arrived at this point of the semis. Like Joe winning would at least get us a baby face in the final for Joe versus Adam Cohen. I guess that's kind of, it's paid for you worthy 12 months ago. Like the forbidden door has flung open and it's not just extended to impact on New Japan. It's extended to loads of XWE guys, of X- NXT guys, more specifically. The twenty nine, the class of 2019 that you're getting to see all these like Wednesday Night War dream matches. But they've all been dilated to the extent we're not dream matches. So Joe versus Adam Cole 12 months ago is interesting. Now, less so, you know. But like, I just, I feel like Tony Storm and Britt Baker's exemplified that for me because it would have felt pay-per-view quality. Mm-hmm. I think it were like so much more than, because uh, I think Sid is right. Britt Baker, Ruby Soho feels like the match, right? But is Soho like the heroic figure? Probably not. The heel that gets that's got the call and response chant in both matches might win. They're like Adam yeah. Cole and Britt Baker, the heel couple, and inaugural winners of the Owen. <laughs> cool. Like they're like it's they're, like their characters are not where they need to be particularly. It's just like the get Adam Cole on the pay per view philosophy might now be now I think about it as I'm talking this in existence might extend to the entire purpose of the Owen Hart tournament. Give you two big stars that can't fight for titles at the moment belts. Give them different belts. Give them pink ones. You know, and like, it's just, oh, I don't know. Like, it's it's put me off even, like, getting excited about this because it's TV and Dynamite's oddly paced. Mm. And if anything, a pay-per-view length would have ensured that Britt Baker and Tony Storm would have the match we expect they can have, whereas something might run long or they might not be allocated more than six to begin with or whatever, you know. An ad break through the middle. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. almost definitely. Uh, I'm going to go Kyle O'Reilly because uh, I think that's going to happen. And the other one is a complete coin flip, but I'm going to go Tony Storm because that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see her in the final, preferably actually against Chris Statlander, although I don't know how that dynamic would work, but I like both of those two women. Probably a little bit better than the hater match, to yeah. be honest. Mm. So I think um, Statlander's a bit further along. Uh, certainly a contender for match of the night tonight is the three-way uh, between Jungle Boy, Ricky Starks and Swerve Strickland. I have one question for you here, Hamlet. Jungle Boy's getting pinned, isn't he? Yeah, it's... I th- do I like this or not? I, I, I do. Christian I looking disappointed and concerned before the papers. Yeah. I kind of can't be arsed with the match, if I'm honest. But if for nothing else, I do like that they've had Jungle Boy get beat so much and they've found a way to... Make it make sense. It's really hard to do this kind of thing within the rankings. And it's good that it's hard to do this thing because WWE can't book losing streaks because you shouldn't really book losing streaks to such an extent. You know, it takes some real flair to make one work. And they've kind of done that with Jungle Boy because he's had this tag belt. So you've not been thinking about his singles rankings because he's holding a belt in another mm-hmm. division. So it's it's an inspired way for Jungle Boy to lose on the run-up for you to... Well, that's not true. I was going to say for you to believe that this team might stand a chance. Let's just say Swerve, right? Swerve pins Jungle Boy. Wow, now that really gives Swerve and Lee momentum. It doesn't, does it? Because Sean Spears beating Big Demo didn't give him momentum going into the match with Wardlow. That's patronising <laughs> WWE brain. That's us being like, well, this is what they're telling us to think, so this is what I think, even though I don't actually think it. So, no, I think this match is fine, but I feel out for it. There we go. There's my summary. Action-wise, it should be tremendous. Absolutely tremendous, um, but it's the best cheeky version of something that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't book anyone who's competing in a title match to lose on the eve of the pay-per-view. It just is senseless booking. Momentum means literally nothing. And even if it does actually mean something, right? If, you, if you're a Premier League team, and, or you're like whatever, and you beat someone midweek, and you're thinking, right, okay, 
we're in form. Like we are in form. It's a real sporting value, a real sporting principle. Like if Newcastle play three matches, right, and two of them are against opponents you're expected to win at home, and you then beat them at home, and you've got like a pretty tricky away fixture. You do think they've got the momentum, mm-hmm. the confidence to go and win the third match. But WWE's bastardized it, bastardized it so much that I can never take it seriously mm. in the wrestling context. Now, is that it's fair? A, on a, yes, the age-old tradition, isn't it? Like, oh, they stood tall holding the belt the, on the, the go-home, so yeah. they ain't winning. Yeah, they've completely bastardized it, right? But is it fair, therefore, to perceive AEW... Tar them with the same brush. Tar yeah. them with the same brush. Yes. <laughs> because they, they, if they are insistent that we don't do what WWE does, except when we do it, but a bit better, it's like, mm, I don't know. They should probably know that not to tell the storyline. There's elements of this I really like. The top five ranking stuff. The idea that there's a separate designation between being a singles wrestler and a tag team specialist. Again, it's a sporting thing. You can have like teams that are great in cups. that has got loads of balls about them. They're not much quality to go throughout the league, but there's a sporting principle applied loosely to this three-way, but I'm kind of talking myself into enjoying it more than I am, Mm. and those days are over for me as an AEW critic because they've earned it to a point, but if they've lost it for a little bit, as they have over 2022, I'm going to expect way more from them. I'm blindly optimistic about this, uh, and I think it's because of all the fantasy booking I've done in my head, so when that doesn't happen, I apologize. I'm going to be disappointed either tomorrow or... Well, with you about six a.m. on Monday morning. You got right. any physical impossibilities this? for this? No, not physical <laughs> impossibilities. A few things that I wanted to mention here, like you say, momentum doesn't mean anything. I mean, Halifax Town had gone ten games unbeaten until last night when we beat them two-one in the uh, playoff eliminator in the national league. You did get that look in your eyes whilst you were in the finals, like, "What's he? What's he? Where's he going with this? Why is he not listening yeah, to me?" Yeah. But also, I was listening. But also, uh, <laughs> I really like the idea of uh, Jurassic Express losing the titles at the Pape. Christian Cage turning on Jungle Boy, and I think the catalyst is here. He gets pinned, and maybe it's not even he, maybe even Luchasaurus. Maybe they're not even involved in the pinfall on Sunday, but Christian Cage has already, the, 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 the seeds have been there. There is easily something that can be put on a road to or a video package or whatever of like, he's there's there's a there's been a switch that's gone in his head, and it's like when someone points something out and you can never unsee it, he's suddenly gone, you're the weak link in this team. And he's not, obviously, bloody Jungle Boy, he's mint, but... I think tonight Ricky Starks pins Jungle Boy. I think Swerve and Keith Spoilers win the win the titles on the pape, and that's what leads to Christian Cage um, betraying or turning on on Jungle Boy. And little little uh, something that's not going to happen tonight, but that I would really like. Why not have the tag team partners all do commentary? So you got Luchasaurus going, yeah. You've got um, <laughs> you've got Powerhouse Hobbs just being like, you know all about the uh, what was it? Was he says you know all about the pile driver baby? That we said to uh, Keith Lee, I think, uh, and then you've got Keith Lee commentating on the triple threat. Give me the picture of that desk. You did picture a physical impossibility, after all. <laughs> How big's the stage going to be just to accommodate? It's the no desk. bigger than Rampage's commentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, Sige, here's, uh, here's, here's something. Something I can, I think, I can predict your answer here. Um, Ring of Honor tag team titles on the line tonight. FTR defending against uh, Trent and Rocky Romero, Rapongi Vice. Uh, are the uh, tag titles going to change hands? No, dear, that's wrong. No. What this is, I don't hate it. I'm going to get a good match out of it. I do. You hate it. I just, I kind of hate now. it. You, you won't hate it. Five minutes deep into this match. Oh, the match itself, no. That yeah. promo last week from them was ludicrous, wasn't it? Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. That's what. Ludicrous. I mean. 
no credibility. Um, FTR versus Best Friends. Remember that? That was one of the first 2020. Uh, it was all right. <laughs> but I do think that Trent in particular, now that he's worked with them once, it's very physical, low-key, very physical Trent. I think this could be an excellent match. But this, again, is very much appeasement. Like, they spend so long appeasing FTR that they're going to probably achieve Nirvana in the next three months and then realize, oh, this can't do anything except achieve Nirvana. It's the heightened state of being, so let's just go to WWE and get some money. He's, been, he's booking FTR too nicely, if anything. <laughs> if anything. This is yet more appeasement. Um, Tony Khan's got a weird philosophy with go-homes where he doesn't spend every single segment selling the pay-per-view. And, you know, there's a logic to that. Yeah. But this is very much right. I can't quite squeeze FTR on the card, so let's just get them on the Dynamite in the title match, maybe the main event, just because I need to make everyone happy. But he's got too many people to make happy, and uh, I really want to spend two hours anticipating this pay-per-view, and this match doesn't really function to do that. So it has to be great to be necessary, and as good as it can be, there are a few guarantees of great in this world. Me and Sid are having a really interesting chat. We, should, we probably should just, just record the, the uh, office because we yeah. have such, such informed chunk conversations in there and definitely not anything that could get us in trouble. Um, <laughs> because we were talking yesterday, I asked Sige, what's the, the big, what was, this, what was the phrase I used? Like, what's the biggest, mi- not missed call, biggest... Bad, the worst well, take. Exactly, the worst take you've had with AEW because I said, I can tell you mine right away. <laughs> And that was me going, you need to put the tooth and nail match on the main cards. <laughs> and then it happened. And, like, and Sige pointed out, like, when FTR arrived, we were all like, it's good this, isn't it? And now FTR, or FTR, and we're yeah. like, oh, no, this is what we wanted. I actually think I was the Bart Simpson side show, Bob. That one little boy who yeah. got off FTR because I was the little guy in the Young Bucks match. Murray was as well. I, I thought I, I didn't I get... I bargained for a little bit mm. with it. I, I didn't get... But I will say... They've completely swung it now. Was there? Have I made this up, or has there been like a sort of? And it's cheeky because it's it's not real. It's not to do with this match. But they try to like leverage some forbidden door crack over this. It's like yes, you beat Rapongi, then the uh, IWGPs are coming as if there's some sort of New Japan ranking system that Rapongi currently set that as the gatekeepers that are in the way of FTR's quest. So it is that like I kind of admire the grift of them trying to apply some. Logic to why this is occurring and what why this matters to FTR. You're gonna take this away from my family, like there. You're gonna take away my lifelong dream of winning the IWG belts that I came up with last month when we won the Ring of Honor belts. It <laughs> was a lifelong dream. Like fine, all of FTR at the moment are fine. Like of course, why not make the belt collectors? Why not? You know, they, it's quite nice the idea of them having all the other belts, but the AEW ones, and that's what brings them back to trying to get a title shot for the. AW belts, there's a, there's a pay-per-view title match in that probably, mm. FTR with all the rest, and, you know, for, uh, Forbidden Door no less. But, aye, don't strap it to this match, because that's bollocks and you know it is. Yeah. Right. Uh, finally, there is a steel cage match tonight that may or may not uh, bring us to another match on Double or Nothing. Uh, if Wardlow is victorious here, he will face MJF. He'll finally get his hands on him. Another brilliant part of the... Uh, uh, road to this whole Wardlow, uh, Sean Spears stuff. Uh, if he beats Sean Spears, yes, he gets the match with MJF on Sunday. Uh, what happens in the steel cage match? Because this isn't just Sean Spears versus Wardlow. This is Sean Spears versus Wardlow with MJF as the special guest referee. And he said, Wardlow lays a finger on him, no match. It's going to be interesting to see how they juggle such a 
toxified sports entertainment trope with the integrity they like to apply to their big match booking. So, I mean, I, just to throw it out there, like, I don't think they'll do it, but I think there's genuine intrigue in they're just blowing up the universe and having Sean Spears win this. Yes. Like, our assumption that this, is go- this has got to be for the pay-per-view, and then they just do the big twist out of nowhere, and it's not happening at the pay-per-view, and then at the pay-per-view itself, you have Wardlow busting in the building, and he's more over than ever before, or something like that. I wouldn't do it personally, but I think there's enough, it's like that 99%, 1% doubt. I think they've got more than the 1% doubt out of this result, and that, that's enough, ultimately, because you've got IMJF in there. But I just, I, I, I can't work out if this is going to go on last and be the, the main event, and it's, you've got an opportunity here to have Wardlow, like the show closes with Wardlow as the winner of the cage match, the man who's got the opportunity to win his freedom at the pay-per-view on Sunday, and the lasting image, like that kind of, I know, like, as you say, Cedric Khan doesn't necessarily do these go-home things, but the, the last thing you see, mm. see a Sunday, this man out of the cage and out of the cuffs and MJF for it, you know, all that sort of thing. It's it's very traditional and would totally work. But they didn't do that with their lashes. That was, you kind of feel that was going to be like mid-card fodder and Wardlow would no-sell it and it would go in a different direction to the Cody thing. And I wonder, too, if this will subvert the, the Cody-esque expectations of the cage match and it's safer to play it a little bit more for laughs, like MJF's comedy attempts to cheat are more just the last... You know, if they go if they go so emotional and so Wardlow's big moment, ba 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 ba, it sort of makes the result on Sunday like there's there's no doubt about which way it can go. I think if MJF and Sean Spears clown it a bit and they maybe put this on in the mid card, and it's Wardlow fundamentally just battering Sean Spears despite MJF's cartoonish ways to cheat before he either has no choice to take a fall or Sean Spears' errant swinging chair knocks MJF out like it did Vince McMahon over the edge 98 and it's Wardlow with his hand on MJF's hand one, two, three mm-hmm. like I know it sounds really cartoonish but I feel like that might stand as the strong we've had so much ser- we had heat last week so much serious stuff that like play with this like play with this being the fun inevitability rather than the, the serious heated Cody Wardlow cage match of a couple of years ago you didn't do it with the last year so I, I kind of I would lean more into that than trying to get this to be this serious main event, blood on both men or what, however it is they want to do it. Because otherwise, how can MJF lose? Like, how can Sean Spears... Now, if they're taking this as seriously as they should be, how can they really lose? Like, th- this is too... I know Wardlow is the all-conquering hero, and that's the point, but I just sort of feel like MJF is too clever a heel to fall on a banana skin in this situation. It can't fail, this. It can't fail. Because I was just about to say, is it as simple, or should it be as simple as um, MJF, like the F10, the legs of Sean Spears swing into MJF's face. He hits the F10, powerbomb for fun, gets MJF's limp hand, mm-hmm. one, two, three, I'm in the match. That seems a bit easy for this, but at the same time, the fans would eat it up, so is it not a terrible thing to do I don't think so I agree with Hamlet what you want to do for me is establish Wardlow so unbelievably dominant that if MJF finds a way to do a heat spot on him that in itself will make him look stronger than anyone else who uh, Wardlow's faced and then he can MJF emerge with his heat and his credibility even in clean defeat to Wardlow at the pape this is how I would book it as a result. Just make Wardlow look like an absolute killer. Get Spears. Make use of the cage stipulation because everyone wants to see a bit of cage stuff. 
in the you mic can, can you play. Not, you can't win this by escaping the cage, can no, you? No, it's Good. AW. <laughs> just double checking. So he just rams them into the cage. The more flailing and slapstick the bumps, the better. <laughs> Do the old pressed up against it, camera there, have some fun with it. Ten of them. Yeah, well, ten of them, one. Two, three, four, five. You know, I'm fucking counting ten. I don't, know why I'm, I don't know why I'm doing it, right? He'd go in. And then, Powerbomb. Actually, I would save the ten thing for the Powerbomb. So do like four or five. Maybe get the crowd to start thinking it's going to be ten, right? So they know how to count. They've been trained how to count because they're seals. Then do the Powerbomb. Four, the magic number. There's one, two, three. Does the awesome thing where he... Folds them over, drags them yeah. by the head, then does four, then five, then six. I've seen this on fantasy book and threads on Reddit and Twitter. This is not my idea, but it's the best idea, so do it. Six, seven, eight, nine, and then an entire arena standing up going ten, 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 right? Wardlow victory via TKO, right? So you don't have to do the overplayed, it would still be fun. One, two, three thing. You could have Sean Spears sell like he's dead. Completely concussed, knocked out, whatever. MJF frantically realizing not only has he lost because he can't get up by TKO, but I'm trapped in the cage with Wardlow. And then everyone will realize, oh, hang on. MJF, Wardlow's finally got his hands on MJF. And then get it out of there somehow. Like a jump through the door. Like climbing out the cage, something, right? One more fantasy book a note on this before I have to go downstairs and finish something off, right? <laughs> Even though it's become less of a thing that feels comfortable with rumors of MGF's genuine happiness, right? Still play with the Bidden War for 2024 thing. I want to see MGF wear the same fit as Vince McMahon in the ref outfit yeah, with no I sleeves. Love that. Makes the. Uh like tits dance, like Vince did that time when he was spending yeah. time coming back from the pose British. when he yeah. just the flex on the ramp. With that. It was just a horrible I've also image seen some tits pop like. Yeah. Um, i got a little bit of an idea, uh, and it's not complete. There is a door, isn't there, into this steel cage to get in, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Well, I, I, in theory, we'll then, teleport into it, mate. I know, but I was going to say, if they, do they get in and then lower it? It's been so bloody long, I can't remember. But Lower, yeah, but there's still a door. Right, so I've got a bit of an idea, and it's actually, because I was like, oh, I haven't really got a finish in mind, but the TKO thing actually works pretty well here. So, rather than having MJF stood in there whilst he's doing the blah, 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 had, he had a bit of an idea as we were talking there. How about, because it's effectively a handicap match early on, how about, Wardlow's trying his best, but like you say, MJF's just being a bit of an annoying dick, and Wardlow doesn't want to chin you, you prick, right? But he doesn't do that because he's not an idiot, right? If babyfaces are smart in AW, right? But... MJF realizes, ah, oh, bollocks, his shorts in a bit of trouble here. So, swift kicking the bollocks. That seemed to work pretty well last week, right? And then Sean gets a few chair shots in, and they're like, this is it, baby. Like, maybe they even try a pinfall, but he, and he even quick counts. But Wardlow kicks out, but he's buggered, basically. And MJF's like, well, let's go to the spot that worked so well last week. Let's get out the beautiful diamond ring. Sean Spears is carrying it for whatever reason. He goes, Sean, give us the diamond ring. Wardlow obviously used to just. Pop it in MJF's hand. Sean Spears, it's a bit of a, I love him, and in character this is, a bit of a bellend, right? And he just goes to do the old, hey, throw him the beautiful diamond ring. That spills out of the ring. MJF's like, oh, you bloody idiot, what are you doing? Opens the door, goes out, Wardlow shuts the door. Sean Spears is trapped in there with him, and then you do the finish that you did. 
And MJF's just on the outside going, oh, I don't want to get back into that. And then he just... Tells, one, two, three on the side of the case. Calls, calls, calls the TKO or whatever like that. And he's just like, well, I think I might just live to fight another day, specifically Sunday. But yeah, it, uh, the fact that we're fantasy booking all this stuff and in all scenarios, Wardlow obviously wins. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, but I can't wait for tonight. And particularly, obviously, that steel cage match. Let us know your thoughts. Because remember, you had time to talk about the whole Jericho Appreciation Society stuff. We'll talk about that more. No big loss, which is, which is a bit not nice, but yeah, it's we'll, true. we'll talk about anarchy in the arena. Is that what On the preview. Yeah, indeed, we'll talk about yes. it on the preview for the pay-per-view later on this week. But let us know your thoughts ahead of Dynamite tonight on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. But actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Uh, you can still buy his brilliant book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AW on Amazon right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our NXT 2 oh! review is available right now. And our review of this show will be in your feed tomorrow as soon as it is released if you subscribe. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Preview. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 